Hi everyone, welcome to the Absolute Jiu-Jitsu Debate. We discuss using ideas from sports science and other performance sports to improve how we train and develop in Jiu-Jitsu. All of this was originally released on video, where we often put graphics and diagrams over the talking heads. So if you want the full experience, check us out by searching Absolute MMA St Kilda Melbourne on YouTube. Otherwise, enjoy the show. I'm here with Lachlan Giles discussing his preparation for ADCC 2019. In the last video, we discussed how Lockie approached his eight-week-long ADCC competition preparation macrocycle. Now we're going to jump right back into the discussion and look at Lockie's goals for the skill development macrocycle before zooming in further and comparing what Lockie was doing on a daily basis and how it changed as he switched from skill development to competition preparation. So Lockie, we just talked about the ADCC camp, but in the skill development uh, period of that, um, your focus was purely on wrestling and leg locks. Is that is that really yeah. what you were just working on? Predominantly, yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, I, th- those are the key areas. I, I was trying to do some private lessons with uh, our wrestling instructor as well, which would be, it would be a training slash, uh, like it's, it's not just a um, technical lesson. It's a, it's usually I'm training with them and trying to get feedback kind of through that and, and technical advice and and drills as well through that. Yeah. And, and leg locks as well. So, you know, most of my specific training would be um, from either um, either some part of the entry or some part of the leg entanglement to, to try to get the finish. Was there anything else that you, um, that you were doing? Were you like filming your sessions and looking at what was happening uh, during that, that skill development phase that allowed you to develop your skill more quickly? For my leg locks, I was filming my leg lock instructional. So that I actually think that's um, a huge factor in, that improvement I had in the last few months in the lead up to ADCC, it usually, it usually takes me a few months to film and, and release a, well, to film a, a product. And then it takes a few months after that for it to be edited and, and released. But um, so during that, I'll, I'll be filming my, because I'm trying to get footage to see if what I think I do is actually what I do. Um, and, and then understand what I do better. So I'll be filming the the roles I had and, and a lot of the 50, 50 exchanges. And, and usually by doing that, I actually notice some little details like, Oh, okay. They actually turn that, you know, you get to see how people are responding and how you counter it. And I think once you understand that, cause a lot, a lot of these things might be subconscious, but then once you actually understand it, you can then focus on that and, and improve upon it further. And, and I, th- I think that was actually a huge factor for improving uh, my leg locks in the lead up to ADCC was, was studying my own footage. And then, for wrestling, I didn't do as much self foot mostly because I don't know. I, I actually wish I had someone there to film all of my roles, but it's usually everyone's there to train. I'm, I don't have someone there to stand around and and um, do that for me, but I'd like to. Um, so usually with wrestling, I, I, I'm, I try to be very aware of what I'm doing and what I perceive the, the issue with, with a technique that's not working or a you know, situation that I'm having trouble with. And I, I will often... Um, and I try to emulate particular high level wrestlers when I'm, um, when I'm training, for example, uh, you know, person, a wrestler, I think has one of the best, most transferable wrestling styles to jujitsu is Hassan Yazdani, who's a, is an Iranian wrestler. And just about everything he does is, is based off the underhook, you know, and, and I wanted that to be my, um, like my position, you know, if I get the underhook, I'm going to get him. So. Uh, I, I, you know, that, that's actually something I've been winning, working the last few years and, and studying his, his game, but that's often someone I will watch 
and try to see if I pick up anything that he's doing to deal with the situations that I find difficult. Yeah, but it's not just him. There, there might be other parts of my wrestling that yeah, that might be influenced by someone else. That's the same approach I have with jiu-jitsu. I, you know, if I'm working my underhook, I'll look at yes, Dani. If I was working my, um, you know, two-on-one, I might look at um, Saitiev or someone else. Like that, there's different uh, wrestlers with different skill sets, and I'll do the same thing in jiu-jitsu. If I wanted to work my my Toriando pass, I'd probably watch some some Leandro Lowe. If I wanted my knee cut pass, I'd look at Lepre or um, or you know Guy Mendes, and yeah, you know, the, the list can go on. But yeah. I mean, I think that like obviously makes sense. And certainly as uh, someone working with sports scientists on a regular basis, I would say performance analysis or using video would probably be like the, the first thing that I would introduce in a professional program because it gives you the opportunity to see actually what you're doing. It gives you an opportunity to quantify what you're doing and also you can reflect on it. And certainly one thing I noticed with you when we've talked about before is you'd always say, oh yeah, I'm, I've, um, you know, I've looked at this guy, I've seen what this person's doing and I've changed my game. But one of the things that specifically that actually struck me a, a lot was when we were at a, in Thailand, I asked you about, you know, De La Riva because with my particular levels of, of capacity, I find De La Riva very difficult to do. And with the leg locks, I was like, well, how is De La Riva useful when you have leg locks involved? Better to play inside position, butterfly, et cetera. And I asked you, hey, what do you think of De La Riva? And you were like, oh, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily that great a position. <laughs> and then like six months later, you've completely changed. And now essentially you're basically paying De La Riva to enter the legs, right? So that must have come yeah. from, from studying video and for actually the fact that you changed your mind was something that really struck yeah. me and was something that actually I think is a very useful skill to have. I think anytime I, I see someone, you know, doing something repeatedly, you know, like where it kind of seems like they have a system, you know, like you, I think sometimes you see someone do a move once and you go, Oh, that's a cool move. But if you see them hitting it re- repeatedly. At least for me, I try to then say, well, is that, would, would that fit somewhere in, in my game? Um, and I think that was kind of, well, maybe it was it was similar sort of thing where you said look to the end and work backwards. Once I kind of was stuck on the fifty fifty, once I was set that I wanted to work fifty fifty, I started to then look how do we get to fifty fifty. Um, and I said who's 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 the you know at least in the IBJJF who, who's who's constantly getting to these leg entanglements the Meow Brothers, um, and they're using this K guard. You know when I watch them no gi. They're still getting to the leg entanglements. It's a bit different to how they usually get it in, in the gi, but and they're using K guard, and it just happens to be fifty fifty. Um, so when I saw that, and they, they're doing that repeatedly over and over again, um, so I started playing with that outside leg position, and then I think it was a, a purple belt, believe it or not, from from Sydney, um, who trains with Levi a bit. Actually, he came down, and he was using something very similar to my Delaheva entry. But in the gi, we, we were, I rolled him in the gi, and he was quite. It was really annoying because I he was doing that Delaheva and then going to to K guard, and I kept thinking I could like go under the legs to pass him, and every time I went to do that, he would like get to the leg entanglement, and I think I didn't get enough time to really because he was just down to train for a day or two, I think, but I didn't get enough time to sit down and go like, hey, what were you doing? But it was enough for me to to stop and. And try to break that down myself, and then I realized I had new new uh, avenues to to attack from the Delaheva position itself. So um, I suppose just being being aware of other, what other options are out there and how they could possibly link to to what you have. But I would say one positive for 
we, we, you know, I think we, we, we talk about having a specialized game, but I've, I've probably worked a lot of different areas, um, which is a positive in that when I see something new, I can f- often find a way to, to place that and, and add that to my game. Um, before the leg locks was released, before the leg lock DVD was released, I think the one before you released before that was the Boyd Lock Pass. So was the Boyd Lock Pass when you were doing that, was that DVD filmed because that was something you were working on again? And did that film that DVD help you to get better at doing the, the Boyd Lock as well? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I, my, my, I say like, you know, when I say I was working wrestling and leg locks, I still, I didn't, didn't neglect the rest of Like when I rolled, I didn't, try to, you know, ignore the fact that there were guard passes or back takes or anything like that. But I certainly would focus a, a large amount of time on, on leg locks and, and wrestling. Um, and, and the body lock pass was something I had been um, working for a while. And then I had a match with Ross Nichols and just from, from rolling with him, um, you know, a few months prior and, and the, the style of guard he plays like a, a butterfly based style. I thought that would be a, um, he would be a good person to. That would be a good move to to try to work to try to get past him. Um, and actually, somewhat again um, influenced by the meows because when I was in Ireland doing a seminar, Dara O'Connell was there. I, I can't remember. This may have been two years ago or three years ago. Dara O'Connell was there, and he's, he's a black belt from Ireland. A good a good black belt from Ireland, and. He'd just come back from training at Unity and he's like, man, the Meow brothers were just body lock passing me over and over again in, in Nogi. And I was like, oh, really? Because I was, like, I was like, I've been working it a bit, but now that you tell me that, because the Meow brothers are small and they're able to beat someone. Dara's Dar like my size. And I was like, geez, okay, well, if they can do it on someone high level like, like Dara, then there must be more to it that I can explore. So I, that kind of maybe a, a while ago set off me to continue working and you can see it was a bit of a trend there, there were a few of the you know craig uh, probably a, a great example of, of someone else who you know who would be body locking me a lot <laughs> so <laughs> problem with craig is sometimes he does things to me and i'm like oh he's long so that's why it works but <laughs> but it's definitely not he's just he's very technical so uh, yeah craig, I mean, craig's craig's excellent with his body lock pass too and one of the elements of your dvds is you always have that bit at the end where you you show video footage of you rolling. And I guess it's from watching those rolling footages that you started to notice and improve your game as well, right? That's like the thing. Cause obviously analyzing someone else's video is different to watching your own video. And I think, I think a lot of people in jujitsu analyze other people's video. But one of the things that yeah. we do in performance sport is that we literally analyze our own footage all the time. And for me, the one, the thing that came up that I first saw this in jujitsu was when I first subscribed to MG in action, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, whatever it is. And you could go in there and you could click and you could watch every single time Marcelo Garcia did like a butterfly sweep, for example, right? And yeah. you go in there and you see how many times he armbarred and then butterfly sweep would be like 5,000 times and armbar would be like 200 times. And you're like, wow, you yeah. can see this guy's game and the fact that he's hitting this yeah. butterfly sweep 5,000 times and there's 5,000 clips of him doing it. That that is a, for me that that is that is exactly performance analysis is you're able to watch what you do and then see if there's ways in which you can improve and also you can then quantify through that performance analysis where you're getting stronger at and what you're getting better at and, mm. and, and how those things improve so i thought like that i think that must be a key factor in your game and actually something i'd probably suggest to you would be hey keep doing that maybe do more of that maybe that's somewhere that really gave mm. you an advantage that you weren't wasn't immediately obvious because you weren't doing it for that reason you're doing it 
you know, because you're developing a, a DVD, but. I, I, I mean, I saw the benefit of as, as well. Yeah. I mean, I, at the moment I'm, I spent, you know, the last six months on, on guard retention and that, that's an instructional that's, that's uh, in development too. And yeah, I, I feel like that's improved out of sight compared to where it was, um, which is, are we, are we talking about, guard retention soon what's next or is that is that not part of today's today's discussion but that was that was something that obviously my my, my two matches i lost in adcc were um which was against lepre and then against gordon came about because of actually kind of a similar in both cases it was it was a a poor a pro, poor proactive framing um which allowed the underhook um yeah, against Gordon, I was kind of from. I went from like a lying down to a to trying to sit up, and he shot an, an underhook at that time, where I should have been framing. Um, and against Lepre, I was very eager to to attach myself to his leg, so I reached for his leg instead of framing, um, and he got the underhook there as well. So I hope at least that part is of of my guard retention is fixed. Not not to say that um, I necessarily have the skill set to block all of their passes, but certainly if I can at least take the one that was, that was uh, identifiable and, and at least tick that off. I hope I've done that. Yeah. Well, we, we all have habits that we develop, don't we? And if you don't notice what they are, then obviously other people can exploit them because they're probably watching footage of you. So the fact that you can see that in your, in your, in your training footage probably allows you to fix that quickly, but rather than waiting to a competition and suddenly realizing that's the, the issue. So is there going to be like a, a guard retention DVD next? Is that, or is that part of the escapes thing? No, nah, this will be that'll be next year. So it's uh, it's in development. It's it's, it's um, it'll be it'll be quite good actually. It's, I've I've learned a lot. I've been working with it's it's, it's going to be my first um, co co produced um, DVD. So I've got a guy Ari Ari Tabak who's um very good light featherweight or featherweight sometimes as well. Um, so he's a bit lighter, but you know, his guard is so hard to pass and his retention is ridiculous. So I kind of sat down with him and said, what are you doing? And I'm going to, I'm going to try and learn that. And then, um, you know, try and mix that obviously with, with what I'm doing as well. And we can, we can both kind of put a product out and, and, uh, hopefully help him out too. So, yeah. Oh, that sounds awesome. I'm really, I'm kind of looking forward to that as well. That'd be That'd be pretty cool. Um, so going back to the planning, right? So if I was to summarize kind of like what you did and put it all together, we had this ADCC preparation where we started off with these eight week, the final thing before the competition was this eight week uh, competition preparation where you had your travel to your competition. Then you had your late camp where you're being careful about not getting injured. Going back from that, you then had the, the competition preparation part where you, you stopped trying to develop new things, but instead you focused on making uh, everything that you were doing like fast and effective. And then going back behind that was then the eight-week skill development phase, which in this case turned out to be around about eight weeks, where the focus was wrestling and leg locks. And there you were using the video footage that you were developing for your DVD to, to tweak little things. I think also we talked about that you also like improving your, your flexibility during that time. So now what I really want to do is get into the, the detail of those two phases. We, we've gone from that big picture and we're working our way back. Now I want to talk really about the weekly layout and how you did that. So let's just start with the skill development part of that, you know, cause you said there, there was more volume, there was more training. Maybe you could talk us through like Monday to Sunday, what your, your regular week looked like during that skill development phase. My ideal was five wrestling sessions a week, but I don't think I, I usually probably got three to four, um, you know, just from 
the way everything ends up actually happening. Um, but that would be usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then Sunday would be the, the wrestling days and potentially one of those if, you know, if someone couldn't make it or one of the coaches couldn't make it, I wouldn't be able to do it. But that was a, that was my normal or what my planned schedule. And then Tuesday and Thursday um, being the pro grappling session. Usually if I didn't do a wrestling, it would be substituted with uh, any of those where you took away wrestling, then it would probably be substituted with, with a pro session. Probably one of the Mondays or, or Wednesdays there. The, the wrestling would usually be one hour. Um, mostly, mostly something which I'll say it's like flow wrestling, which is, is kind of, um, I'd say it's wrestling at about 60, 70% and, and specific training within, within those areas, you know? So I might start from a, a single leg and we go, I don't like training wrestling at a hundred percent because I, I really feel like the, the chance of injury is just too high and it's exhausting as well. So try to, you know, if, there's more of a focus on like if someone's defending, like switching to another move. You know, if they're defending it well, like don't just drive through it at a hundred percent, but you know, try to switch to the next move and, and practice transitions more than, more than um, grinding through to, to finish something. Um, so that would be a mix of situational training and then just free, free wrestling as well. Um, and, and drills on anything that, that I needed to, to drill to. Um, and then there would be, uh, the pro sessions usually half an hour of drilling and then about 40 minutes of specific training on whatever we let people work, whatever um, position they want to start from. You go for five minutes, your partner goes for five minutes. So for me, that was you know obviously predominantly, it'd be predominantly like leg lock focused because um, I was already getting the rest and training outside of that. So I, I usually wouldn't start. If I'm going with a jiu-jitsu person, I usually wouldn't be doing a, a wrestling style um, specific training because they might not have the same level of takedown defense. Although they might offer some submission, you know, things that I, which I probably focused on a little more in the in the in the end phase. You know, just making sure my takedowns worked with submissions. Um, and then we'd have rolling at the end. Um, so usually about half an hour to forty minutes of rolling, and then I would do finish off with a little bit of stretching. So just working a few areas to try to improve my takedown defense and guard retention. So essentially you had like a, yeah, four, pretty much four wrestling sessions, which were about an hour long. And then you had those two pro uh, jujitsu sessions were more two hours long. And I guess as well, looking at your schedule, you're probably teaching in the evening as right as well. Right. So you're teaching three to four hours yeah. in the evening as well. And did you ever in the evening when you were cheat, when you were teaching, do you ever roll with your students then? Or was it, uh, if you did, would you count that as training or not really? During this, in the lead up to ADCC, it's, that's the thing. It's a little bit um, selfish to to focus the training just on on me, but I kind of felt like it was important to, you know, I, I feel like if I add extra rolling at night, then I, I'm going to get too sore and, and tired. So I, I'd mostly just be coaching and and obviously observing people roll. Sure. So let's, if we then move and look at, that was the skill development phase. Let's look at how that changed for the next section, which was the ADCC camp before you're doing all those wrestling sessions and only two pro sessions. I assume you did more jujitsu in this, in this uh, last eight weeks. I, I would still potentially, if, if there was one of the wrestling coaches was, was in, I would do a wrestling and as a substitute for a BJJ role. So, um, so one of our coaches does train 
a bit of jiu-jitsu or, or would come in to kind of work some of his wrestling with some of the other jiu-jitsu guys. So if I was going with him, I would work wrestling and, and um, otherwise I'd do jiu-jitsu. But yeah, that would be a half hour warm up for drilling. And then it would be, for me, it would be, you know, three time, three lots of eight or, or 10 minute rounds of, of rolling. You know, this is uh, roughly, sometimes we do mix that up a bit, but um, three lots of eight or 10 minute rounds of rolling. And then at the end we would, do the, that kind of ADCC round. So we'd have kind of everyone sitting around and two people, like one of the people who's competing in ADCC and someone who's not, or maybe two people who are competing in ADCC, those two in the middle and replicating an ADCC competition. And we would do this twice a, a week, um, which was, you know, you're counting points, someone's, someone's scoring the points, everyone around is cheering and trying to, you know, support one or the other person, whoever it is. Um, and we but it would be a short because because it takes a while to go through you know if there's four people and everyone's going through their rounds that it takes a while so we did it um, uh, two minutes no points two minutes points two minutes um, overtime regardless even if you submitted them we'd make them do the overtime so that they had to practice their the overtime strategy um, so but it's really about implementing your strategy against someone with pressure um, as close to obviously is not going to be the same as ADCC but it's as close to that as we can replicate in the gym. Each each person that was competing would just do one. And that was on the I think the Tuesday and the and the Thursday we would do that that ADCC round. And then on the Monday and Wednesday we wouldn't add that kind of high pressure one in and just do regular training. Um so it would still be the same format, but just without the added um, you know, everyone sitting around watching you roll. And then so that'd be Monday to Thursday. And then on um Saturday or maybe Friday night or we've got an open mat Saturday if I felt like just kind of doing a light roll or moving around, I'd do that. Um, if I felt really good, I would maybe do a harder session, but usually it was a quite a light one. So in the sessions you're saying you're doing a warm-up 30 minutes of drilling, what would your drilling actually look like? Would you be going through a number of different positions? Uh, would you be drilling like leg locks or and back and something like this? What would your drilling 30 minutes before the session look like? What does that specifically mean? Uh, to be honest, usually whatever I felt was um, important or, or needed work, you know, or, or just needed reps. <laughs> so it's often, I suppose, um, in the lead up to the tournament, like in that in that very sort of short phase, I'd be much more likely to just drill my main sequence and um, and just kind of go through the motions and make sure every part of that was feeling tight. Um, but I do think some you know, you have to have a good training partner. If you're going to drill your main, I feel like doing your main move on someone who's just kind of relaxed and letting you do it, you're not going to develop. The feel comes from like some level of resistance or I say resistance, but like um, your opponent kind of not just feeding you it, but making you kind of work for it a little bit. Um, so I try to do that. It's the same in, in, in wrestling as well, trying to work my my main entries to takedowns or finishes for, for takedowns um, from there. So, yeah. And that's usually five minutes, me, five minutes partner for, for half an hour. So if we recap what we're looking at so far, in the off-camp skill development macro cycle, where Lockie was experimenting with and developing his wrestling and leg lock game, we discussed the key role that video analysis played in helping him identify areas for improvement. In sports science, we call this performance analysis and is used to focus both on your opponent and on your own performance. It is extensively used in technical and tactical sports, such as team sports. In soccer, at the end of the game or practice, 
Each athlete gets a video of every play they've involved in, both offensively and defensively. This is then supplemented with other data, such as where other people were on the pitch, as well as GPS data and heart rate, to give the athlete a full profile of what is going on. We then went on to look at weekly cycles and how their structure and content changed as we switched from the skill development to competition preparation macro cycles. The key take-home message from this is that the daily content of each training session addressed the broader goals of the macro cycle. During the skill development macro cycle, Lockie was focused on improving his resting and leg locks through a higher volume of low intensity work. During jiu-jitsu sessions, while he didn't ignore other areas if they arose, the focus was squarely on directing the action towards leg locks. And when he undertook specific training, he would typically start from a leg entanglement or related setup. In the competition preparation macro cycle, the volume decreased, the intensity went up, and the focus switched to preparing for the rules of ADCC. When sparring, he tried to be fresh and practice with the intensity expected during the competition. So hopefully you enjoyed this discussion and we'll tune in next time when we look at how Lockheed's planning compares to traditional schemes used in other sports. As always, let us know your thoughts in the comments below and remember to subscribe to the channel and hit the bell so you get notifications whenever Lockheed releases new content. Thanks for watching and I hope to see you in the next video. So that's it for this episode. If you like the podcast but want to see the diagrams, you can get the full experience by searching Absolute MMA St Kilda Melbourne on YouTube. See you in the next episode.